Well, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, please turn in them to the book of Ephesians. We are just spending one week in this one particular passage of Scripture. Next week, uh, we are starting a new study into the book of Isaiah. So I would covet your prayers uh, as we begin that. The women's Bible study has been uh, looking into that for the last uh, several months, all throughout the fall. Um, So we're going to be diving into that a little bit more in in depth, covering about a chapter a week. And so... um, 66 chapters of of fairly obscure prophecy is a little bit daunting and intimidating, so I would cover your prayers. But I'm excited about it. As I've been doing pre-study and just reading through the book and studying through the book, um, we need what God has for us in the book of Isaiah. The church today needs the nutrition, the spiritual nutrition that is found in the book of Isaiah, and we need need it as well. So I want to invite you next week to come back for that. But this morning we're going to be in Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 21. And here's why. I've never been a big fan of periodic engine checkups. I'm just, I'm just not. I just, I just don't do that. I, I don't typically bring our cars into the mechanic just so that they will look under the hood to make sure things are running smoothly. And a lot of times I will pay for that because I don't find out that it's not working until the car doesn't start. I don't find out that something's wrong until something is broken. And my mechanic is often telling me if I had just brought it in sooner for a checkup, then maybe he could have detected that something was wrong before it happened. And usually, by the time I do bring it in, it costs a lot more to fix it than it would have costed just to prevent it. Well, this is the time of year that a lot of folks are looking under the hood of their life, looking under the hood of their spiritual life to get a checkup, to determine if everything is running as it should and to see whether or not they need a tune-up or a repair of any kind. And Paul's words here in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, exhort us to that kind of tune-up, to look under the hood of our life spiritually, to examine ourselves, to see whether or not we're living lives that are faithful to Jesus and glorifying to God to see if there are any spiritual tune-ups or repairs that need to be made. So let's listen to the Apostle Paul as he exhorts us to a spiritual tune-up. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. 
And we ask, Father, that you would speak to us from your word, that you would give us not just this morning understanding of what this says and what this means, but Lord, along with interpretation, that you would allow us to apply this to our lives, Father, so that this would be a year where you are greatly glorified through us, that this would be a year in us collectively and in our families, individually, that would be marked by faithfulness to your Son, Jesus Christ. That we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So God, use your word this morning to convict, to challenge, to edify the saints. And Father, that you would use your word this morning to bring to faith those who are far from you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, verse 15 begins with, look carefully, then, how you walk. Paul talks a lot about walking in the book of Ephesians. Back in chapter 4, at the beginning of that chapter, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Verse 17 of chapter 4 He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. At the outset of chapter 5, he says, walk in love as Christ loved us. A few verses later in verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, walk as children of light, not in the darkness. And now in verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. So when Paul is talking about walking, he's not talking about putting one step in, foot, uh, in front of the other. He's talking about how we live, the manner in which we conduct our lives. And so he wants us to live in a manner worthy of our calling. He wants us to no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. He wants us to live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And now in verse 15, he wants us to Look carefully then how you live. When Paul says, look carefully how you walk, he means look carefully at your life. Examine how you're living. And the metric that Paul tells us to use when we look at our life and examine our life, the metric that he wants us to use is wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. In other words, he's, he's exhorting us to examine our life, to examine our walk, how we're living, and hold it up against the metric of wisdom. He wants us in this passage to walk in wisdom. And the manner in which we conduct our lives would be characterized as wise, not as unwise. There are three words in the Greek that are translated as wise in the New Testament. One is phronimos. This comes from the root word that means to understand in the mind. And so it has more to do with head knowledge. That's used 14 times in the New Testament. There's sunitas that comes from the root word that means to put things together. And that's only translated as wise four times. Usually that's translated as understanding In fact, the root word for that word for wisdom is 
found in verse 17 of our passage when Paul says, understand what the will of the Lord is. But the word for wisdom here, the word for wise in verse 15, is the word sophos. It means skilled, expert, or learned. It's the word that was used to refer to Greek philosophers and Jewish historians and theologians, that they were skilled experts, that they were learned in their field of study. This is the word that Paul uses to describe the way in which we are to walk, that we are to be expert walkers, that we are to be skilled in walking. And because walking is a reference to the manner in which we live, how we live our lives, Paul's exhorting us in this passage to be experts in how to live. Now, whenever we dive in on one Sunday and look at a particular passage of Scripture, we need to make sure that we understand the context in which we find it. And the context of this passage is found within the broader scope of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so what is the purpose for Paul writing this letter to the believers in Ephesus? He writes to them to remind them of who they are in Christ to remind them of their identity in Christ and to live out of that identity so that they might live lives that demonstrate a growing love for Jesus, a growing faithfulness for Jesus, and glorifying God with their lives as they seek to engage in mission and be lights in that dark world. So that's the context. And so walking in wisdom, which is what he's talking about in this passage, being experts or skilled in living as a faithful follower of Jesus. That's what Paul is after in this passage. That the manner of living that he's exhorting us to in this letter, which is to to live as a faithful follower of Jesus, that we would be skilled in that. That we would be learned and and experts in how to live lives as faithful followers of Jesus. I would hope that this would be something that all of us would accept as a goal for ourselves in this next year, in 2024. That we would seek to become experts, skillful in living lives as a faithful follower of Jesus. So how do we do that? How do we become experts? How do we walk in wisdom? Well, that's the question that the rest of this passage seeks to answer. And it answers it by giving us four important mindsets, mindsets that must be in place in our life if we are going to walk in wisdom, if we're going to become experts, skilled in living as a faithful follower of Jesus. And the first important mindset is one that we've already mentioned, and it is to look carefully at how we walk. Look carefully at how we walk. The phrase look carefully is one that we need to look at more carefully. The phrase, the word for look in the Greek is nothing special. It simply means that. It means to look, to see, to observe. But the Greek word for carefully is a lot more interesting. The Greek word akrobos. King James, if you have that translation, it translates it circumspectly. King James says uh, that we ought to 
Uh, See then that ye walk circumspectly. According to Webster's, uh, to uh, circumspect means to carefully consider all circumstances and all possible consequences. And so to walk circumspectly, as the King James puts it, is to consider all of the circumstances and all of the consequences of how we live, of how we're living our life. And that's pretty close to the biblical definition of the Greek word akrobos. It means diligently, accurately, carefully. And so we're, we're to, to live circumspectly means to examine our lives closely, to look under the hood carefully. And so examine your walk. Look carefully at your life. Think about how you're living your life. Examine it. Look at it circumspectly. That's what Paul is exhorting us to do. If we're to walk in wisdom, we need to look under the hood. We need to study it from every, every angle circumspectly. And by the, word, by, the, by the way, the word for walk here is in the second person plural. So in Southern English, there's a y'all pronoun there. Look carefully how y'all walk. Which means that there's a community aspect to this. That we allow other people around us who love Jesus and love us to speak into our lives. Because they're going to see things that we don't. They're going to see the blind spots that we have. So there's a community aspect to this that, that oftentimes as we as, as Westerners, we read scripture, we miss that. We think, how does this apply to me? Instead of, how does this apply to us? Don't forget the y'all aspect. So church, are you willing to look carefully at your walk and examine your life? Are you willing to let others speak into your life And show you the blind spots that you might have. Not just so that you'll have better knowledge about how you're walking and how you're living. But so that your walk and my walk, our walk together might be conformed more to the image of Christ. And so that he might be glorified in and through us. That that we might more and more walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, there's a reason why Paul inserts the word then in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Then is a connecting word. And what immediately precedes verse 15 in chapter 5 is Paul's warning about all the darkness that is in the world. Look back beginning in verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Then down to verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. 
And then Paul says, in light of that, in verse 15, he says, look carefully then how you walk. In other words, the exhortation here to look under the hood, the exhortation to examine how we're living our life comes out of, is birthed out of a warning about darkness in the world and our proclivity as saints to engage in it. So at least part of this examination of our lives should be determined if some of that darkness has begun to find a home in our own hearts and lives. And if so, to root it out. So I encourage you, use this time of year, use this season to take a peek under the hood and examine your life carefully. In keeping with our engine analogy, Just as there is a danger to not periodically looking under the hood of our cars, so there is a danger in living an unexamined life. As we drive our cars, we know that the miles add up. And as the miles add up, there is normal wear and tear on our engine. But if that wear and tear isn't addressed, then eventually it will result in engine failure. And as we live our lives as Christians... The seasons add up. The ups and downs of living in a fallen world with a fallen nature that's very much still active in our own lives and hearts, the miles add up. And it's going to result in normal spiritual wear and tear. But if that wear and tear isn't addressed, it'll eventually result in a crisis of faith. But usually, I would say, Almost always, there are signs of spiritual wear and tear that could be detected and could be addressed if we would just pull off the road long enough to look under the hood. Look carefully how we walk here. The the, the first mindset that we need to have if we're going to walk in wisdom really is the overarching command of this passage. And the other three important mindsets in the remainder of our passage really tell us how to do that, how to examine our lives. So the second important mindset in walking in wisdom is to make the best use of time. Verse 16 says, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Now, don't miss that there's a definite article there in front of time. He says, make the best use of the time. Whatever time it is that we've been granted in this life, it is a finite amount. It's a definite amount. We all have 168 hours in the week, 24 hours in the day, no more, no less, and each second is a gift from God. But however much time we have is an amount that is determined by God. It's already set. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139, verse 16, we've mentioned this often in asserting the sanctity of human life. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. The days, again, the definite article. However much time we have in this life was written, was determined by God to set amount. And that amount is passing quickly, is it not? It's flying by. I think that's part of what Paul means when he says that the days are evil, that, that they're, they're going by quickly. 
Psalm 144 verse 4 says, man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. And don't we feel that sometimes? That, that the days are just passing by like a, like a vapor? James writes in James 4, 4, 14, what is your life for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So our time here is limited and that limited time is passing quickly. And so Paul exhorts us that we're to make the best use of that time because the days are evil. Now, I think that Paul has more in mind when he says that the days are evil than just that they're limited and they're passing quickly. I think he also means literally that there is evil in the world. That there's evil around us. And there's evil in us. And this evil is lying to us and trying to tempt us and trying to get us to go after comfort and ease and sloth in our life. And ultimately tries to distract us from God and his mission. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, Don Whitney is commenting on this verse in Ephesians 5. And he writes this, There are great thieves of time that are minions of the world, the flesh, and the devil. They may range in form from high-tech, socially acceptable preoccupations to simple, idle talk or ungoverned thoughts. But the natural, listen to this, the natural course of our minds, our bodies, our world, and our days leads us toward evil, not towards Christ-likeness. And so we're exhorted to make the best use of the time. The King James translates this phrase, redeeming the time. And for good reason, because the word here in the Greek literally means to buy back. And so we're to, we're to buy back this time. How do we do that? Well, we can't go back and buy the time that we've already spent. It's gone. It's been spent. We can't buy it back to spend on something else, to use that time on something else. That time is gone. But the time that God gives us today, the time that God gives us tomorrow, it doesn't have to likewise be wasted. Tomorrow's time can be redeemed if we decide today to allow the Lord to direct our use of it. The value of time is in how we use it. And so Paul tells us to make the best use of our time, and we do that by examining our walk, examining our life, examining how we're using our time. But in our fast-paced, immediate results world, we're so busy using our time, spending our time, that we don't stop long enough to consider whether or not we're making the best use of the time. So Paul exhorts us that if we're going to walk in wisdom... We ought to slow down long enough to ask him whether or not we're making the best use of time. So what is the best use of your time? What is the best use of your time? I, I can't answer that question specifically for you. I can probably tell you what is probably not the best use of your time and mine. The best use of our time is probably not spending hours and hours on social media. You know, there was a generation once that didn't have it. And they were happier and more social. 
That's probably not the best use of our time. The best use of our time is not probably not spending a lot of time worrying about things that we can't control. The best use of our time is probably not spent in front of a screen, whether it's a large one like a TV or a small one like a phone or any other number of time wasters. So maybe for you, your takeaway from this passage is simply to identify what the time wasters are in your life. The things that you find yourself giving time to that in the end are just wasting away the precious time that God has given to you. The the precious limited time that's passing away so quickly. Identify them and then redeem back that time by using that time in a better way. Making a better use of that time. I am not the one to answer the question, what is the best use of your time? But God can. So, so maybe use this time of year to ask him that. That's a great way to start the year. It's a great way to start the, the month, the week. It's a great way to start every single day. Lord, I know that in my flesh, I am likely to use my time for this or for that. But Lord, I, I want to know what you say is the best use of my time. Would you tell me? Would you show me? It's a great way to, to start your day. Now, the best use of your time and my time, the limited time that we're given that's passing away so quickly, probably has something to do with God's will for our life, which leads us to the next important mindset to have if we are to walk in wisdom, that is to understand the Lord's will. He says in verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The phrase, do not be foolish, is an imperative verb. It's in the negative. Do not be foolish. And the way that we obey that command is by obeying the second imperative verb in verse 17, which is to understand what the will of the Lord is. As we said earlier, that word for understand here is the root word for another word for wise or wisdom. And this, this root word literally means to, to put things together in our mind. So, so Paul is exhorting us, don't be foolish, but put things together in your mind what the will of the Lord is for you. So how do we discover God's will? That's a whole sermon series that we could spend time on. But I just want to cover some of the basics. We primarily discover God's will through four means. Four means. And the first is above them all, and it is this book, through the Word. What God wants us to do, what He wants us to be, what he's called, who He's called us to be, how He wants to li- us to live our lives, is found here. And if we're not reading His Word, if we're not studying His Word, if we're not meditating, if we're not saturating our lives with the Word of God, then we will not know His will, period. Can't go any further than that. But we know as we read God's word, we, we, we read his revealed will to us. But it doesn't cover all those specifics. Who should I marry? Where should I work? Where should I live? How should I engage in God's mission? So how do we navigate and discover God's will in those areas? Well, through these other three means, which is through prayer. He, he, he reveals his will to us in prayer. Through godly counsel, godly mature, older saints who are pouring into us help us to discover what God wants us to do and be. And then the community of believers that he puts around us. 
godly friends, once again, who, who love Jesus and love us and who are in, in covenant community with us in the local church, who will speak into our lives and help us discover what God is asking us to do in a particular area of our life. And so if you and I are going to walk in wisdom, which is what he's after in this passage, then we need to discover God's will for our lives through his word, through prayer, through godly counsel, through the community of people and believers that God has put around you. So maybe that's your takeaway from this passage. To spend more time this year employing those means in order to discover God's will in a particular area of your life. But once we discover God's will, then we hold it up against the examination of our life from verse 15 and how we're using our time for verse 16, and we see if we're out of alignment. Because knowing His will is only part of walking in wisdom. The other part is examining our life to see whether or not we're fulfilling His will for our lives. And so two questions for us to wrestle with from verse 17 are, First, do you know what God's will is for your life? And then secondly, are you walking in that? If you're going to walk in wisdom, you need to be walking in His will. Both His revealed will in His Word and His specific will revealed through these other means. And then the fourth important mindset for us to have, if we are to walk in wisdom, is to be filled with the Spirit. And that's what Paul addresses in verses 18 through 21. Verse 18 says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? That's another sermon series. We're racking up with sermon series we're going to cover after Isaiah, I guess. But there's so much involved in answering the question, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit, that we don't have time for this morning. But I just want to give you the basics. First, we see here that it is a command that's given to believers. This is, this is an imperative verb, be filled with the Spirit, and it's given to the believers in the church at Ephesus. And so it's a command to obey, and because it's a command that's given to believers specifically, then secondly, this must be about, whatever it is, it must be about sanctification, not justification. This is not how one is saved. This is not how one is converted as believers in Jesus Christ, we are already indwelt with the Holy Spirit at conversion. We get all of the Holy Spirit at conversion. But not all believers are filled with the Spirit, at least not in the sense that Paul means here. Why? Because Paul is commanding believers to be filled. So whatever it is, it has nothing to do with conversion or justification. It has to do with our growth in Christ, our sanctification in the gospel. Thirdly, we see that it's an ongoing activity in the life of a believer. It's not a one-time thing. And we get this because of the verb tense of this Greek verb. It's in the perfect tense. And the Greek perfect tense indicates an ongoing action. It's not a once-for-all thing. It's something that happens over and over again. So literally, we should read verse 18, Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So whatever it is, it's not a one-time occurrence. It's an ongoing activity in the life of the believer. And then fourth, from the context of this verse, to be filled with the Spirit means to be controlled and empowered by the Spirit. Because he contrasts it 
with getting drunk with wine. Verse 18 says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Literally, he says, do not intoxicate yourself. The word, strangely enough, for get drunk here in the Greek is the root word from which we get our English word, meth. It means to lose control. It means to surrender control by being controlled by something else, in this case, wine. So when he says be filled with the Spirit, he's talking about surrendering the control of your life to the Spirit of God and letting the Holy Spirit control and empower you. So Paul says, don't let alcohol, don't let wine control you. He says that is debauchery. What is debauchery? The New American Standard and the King James use the word dissipation here. But the Greek word here is asotia. It's a combination of the the Greek prefix ah, which is a negative prefix, with the root word for save, which is soto. Soto. And so that that word means to save or to make whole or, or to heal. And so combined with that negative prefix asotia, means the opposite of saving. And the opposite of saving and making whole and and healing is neglect and wasteful and endangering. Webster's Dictionary defines debauchery as excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. It, It is giving in to the desires of the flesh, which is why Paul says in Galatians 5.16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So letting something other than the Holy Spirit control and empower us is debauchery or dissipation. It is the opposite of saving and being made whole and being healed. So the negative command is don't do that. And the positive command is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then in verses 19 through 21, Paul gives us a picture of a spirit-filled life. So what does it look like when a Christian is being filled with the Holy Spirit? When he's living that kind of life. Well, he's addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All of these are participles modifying the verb to be filled, describing what it looks like when a Christian is living a spirit-filled life. And what I see in those verses is a heart that is given to authentic worship, not just on Sundays, but all throughout the week. A heart that is given to authentic community, not just on Sunday night, but all throughout the week. A heart that is overflowing with gratefulness and thankfulness to God and has joy in its expression of that thanks. But what I want us to see this morning is how this command to be filled with the Holy Spirit links up with the context of this passage. Paul is stressing here in this passage that we're looking at this morning that we're to walk in wisdom. And the overarching command, we said, is is to examine our walk so that we're walking in wisdom. So how does one, how how does being filled with the Holy Spirit fit in with that? Well, if you're not being controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, then you're being controlled and empowered by something or someone else 
And if so, then you won't walk in wisdom. You can't walk in wisdom. You can't live a life that is faithful to Jesus and glorifying to God if you aren't being filled with the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, how do you know if you're filled? How do you know if you're being controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit if you're not stopping to examine your life and look under the hood? So as you look at your life, as you look at your walk, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what would you say is the controlling and empowering influence in your life? Is it a substance like he is speaking of here? Is it a fear of failure? Is it a, drive, is it a driving need to be accepted or loved by others? Is it a lust for more? Whether it's more money or more things or more success or more fleshly desires? Or is it the Holy Spirit of God? Maybe your takeaway from this passage this morning is to spend some time thinking about that question. What is the controlling influence in your life? And if it's anything other than the Spirit of God, to confess that, to repent of that, and to rid your life of that influence, and then ask God to fill you afresh with His Holy Spirit so that He is controlling and empowering you. Paul's exhortation in this passage to walk in wisdom in this way, this exhortation is not given in a vacuum, but rather it is the means by which we obey the other exhortation to walk in love that he gives in the first two verses of this chapter. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, he writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus showed his love for us by sacrificing himself, by giving himself up on a cross. That's how he walked in love. And now Paul exhorts us to be imitators of God. To be imitators of him and likewise walk in love. And we walk in love by walking in wisdom, by living a life that is growing in faithfulness to Jesus and glorifying to God. And we do that by obeying what he exhorts us to in this passage, by examining our life, our spiritual life, carefully, closely. By looking under the hood, by doing a, a spiritual tune-up, are there repairs that need to be made there? Look under the hood. Secondly, by making the best use of our time because the days are evil. In other words, don't wait until the engine light comes on. Check under the hood now. Thirdly, understand what the will of the Lord is. In other words, pull out the owner's manual and make sure you make those repairs his way, not your own. And then ensure that you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, ensure that there's enough gas in the tank to empower that engine. 
May this year, May 2024, be a year where we are marked by walking in wisdom. That when we gather again at the end of 2024, we can look back and say, by God's grace and for his glory, we are more faithful to Jesus than we were last year. That God was glorified in how we used our time in 2024. Maybe he, he be glorified in us through that. Let's pray. If you're here this morning and you've never come to faith in Christ, then a lot of this that we talked about this morning won't make sense. There is no spirit in you to be filled with. And so there is no gas in your tank. And when you look under the hood, the engine is beyond repair. Because of your sin and your rebellion against God, you need him to rescue you. Not, not so that your life will be improved, not so that you'll have a good 2024, but so that you might be saved from what you deserve, which is an eternity apart from him. God sent Jesus to pay the price that you deserve to pay, that we all deserve to pay because of our sins. Will you trust in Christ this morning? Will you place your faith in Jesus, turn from your sin, and turn to Jesus Christ in faith? Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you in particular for this passage of scripture that exhorts us to look carefully at our lives. Father, I pray that, that, that we would carve out some time this week, this month, to do just that. Father, that we would do it in community, that we would open our lives up in our base groups to allow others to speak into us and to show us some of the blind spots that we might not see. Father, we know that the time that you've given to us is, is really, it's not our time, it's, it's your time. You've given to us it to us to steward. Our very lives are, are yours. You've bought them with a price. We are yours, and, and this life that we have, it, it's, it's ours to steward, and so we want to make the best use of it. And that's true for this next year. We, we want to make the best use of 2024 in our own lives, in our family, in our church. And so, God, we, we lay ourselves before you. This is your church. This is your family. This is your life. Show us what the best use of our time is so that you would be glorified. Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would continue your work of sanctification in us and through us so that by this time next year, we'll look more like Jesus, we'll love Jesus more, and we will have sensed your pleasure at your being glorified in our lives. May that be our offering to you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.